open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. I'm Gary Wirtz. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. In this episode, Drs. Blake Williamson and Gary Wirtz welcome Dr. John Doan to share his own experiences for this season's theme of horror stories in cataract and refractive surgery. Thank you for listening. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. All right, everybody. Here we are, episode two of the new season of Ophthalmology Off the Grid, the 2024 edition Hanging out with Gary. Gary, how you doing, man? It was fun seeing you in Mexico. About to see you in Aspen. Absolutely. This is uh, this is what we call meeting season. Uh, it's in full effect. So uh, yeah, I was at telling it like it is this last weekend. A great meeting. Even better because we're going to be joined by our good friend John Doan from Kansas City from Discover Vision Centers. Um, I think he needs no introduction, but John has just been a force in refractive surgery and cataract surgery for his career. He's a guy that I know you and I both look up to tremendously. Um, and if he were not on the call right now, we would gush even more. We don't want to embarrass him. Um, but John is always someone who I, I learn from and I laugh alongside of. And so with that, John, thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. A pleasure to be here, guys. So, um, Blake, you know, this season is called Horror Stories. And John, you know, just talking with him at Caribbean Eye, you know, he has his fair share and we've, we've even sort of previewed a few of these horror stories. Um, how do you want to he had start, a list. Blake? Well, he had a list of like 37 of them. So like whenever <laughs> you and I shared mine, I was like, well, of course, I've only had one real horror. Uh, uh, but 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 the Doan man was like, oh, no, no, I've had 37. So yeah. it's not like that many. But I, I, I mean, gosh, I, we can't I, I, I hope we could talk about half of them at least. Uh, right. Good. One of the examples I was going to give you guys is that you're doing surgery on a a, a big refers family member. So you want it to go great. And I remember this case where the surgeons had his wife come in and I did not think she was super anxious, but during the pass of the microkeratoma, I just started getting a feeling she was just getting just a little bit fidgety. The second I started suction and when I pushed the pedal to advance the microkeratoma across the eye, she literally raised her feet, her uh, calves and her knees up off the bed and scissor kicked and it was such a huge jolt she broke suction right in the middle of the pass and so when that happens you, you abort the case and unlike aborting cases today where you can advance to it you actually can do another technique the same day so let's say you abort smile well okay you're going to just do LASIK same day in this case no you had to stop you had to put your tail between your legs and you had to go call in this case the referring doctor hey guess what I just passed a microkeratoma across your wife's eye and took off half her cornea and I had to put it back, but we didn't do anything refractively. And so you just feel like such a jerk uh, that it happened to yes. you. 
but th that's that was not uncommon to have you know a bad pass an incomplete flap you can't do the ablation and you have to wait three months and live with the patient for three months if they'll even come back and have surgery with you usually they did but i mean very frustrating three months and waiting to get it right for a patient yeah my uh i had, I had a year out of residency i had a free cap and it freaked me out with my with a microkeratome, and you know I know now that I should have just completed the treatment and put the cap back on, and everything would have been fine. But I just freaked out and put the cap back down with a bandaged contact lens. And um, the interesting and weird thing about that was her prescription did not change a quarter diopter. I mean, it did not change. It free. It was the weirdest thing that it was such a perfect cut. It was non refractive essentially. Um, and is that your is that your experience when you had these weird situations that generally the cornea healed pretty well and surprisingly patients did okay? Absolutely. As long as you put the puzzle piece back and don't remove tissue, it's golden. The second you, if you were to, you know, if that was an irregular cap where you couldn't get the full treatment in, Mm -hmm. And then you tried to treat, you would have created a regular stigmatism, and then it's very hard to recover. Sure. But what you did right there, put the puzzle piece back and come back to fight another day. And they literally, they may end up saying after you eventually get them done that that eye's seen better than their quote unquote good eye, right. what they thought their good was. So as long as you don't remove tissue, you're golden. But the second you remove tissue and create an irregular surface, it is literally game over. Then you're into RGP land and so forth. John, talk about talk about when right right after you do that, uh, and you had that complication right after that 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 she jumped off. You know, and this kind of this 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 can apply to many complications. What do you do personally? Do you do anything different? Do you take a deep breath? Do you make a, a look at your scrub tech? Do you say turn down the music? Do you like what do you do immediately during the thing to kind of like chill? And then, like, how do you get yourself back in the mindset that you have 30 more eyes to do that day? Like, how do you how do you take care of you? Uh, yeah, I'll take it from the from the end to coming back. The sooner you get back on the horse, the better. You've just had a massive freak out. And if you decide to get off the horse, you know, cancel the day. In my mind, that's a bad decision. You know, you, you've got to get back on the horse and get your mind right. But at the front end, you have to realize wait a second, what happened and try to recreate in your mind anatomically what is going on. And kind of like, as Gary said with his case, as long as you don't continue on and you have a place that you can stop and be a safety zone, stop and be and make a safety zone. Don't keep pushing. When you're in the land of the unknown, don't keep trying to, to find another place. And if you have a place you can stop and come back another day, absolutely do that. I think that's probably a, just a golden pearl in doing surgery. Again, when you push it beyond what you've ever seen, and you're you're going to be now an N of one. This has never been done. Probably put the brakes on. Yeah, it's like being in the woods and trying to like make a hole in one from from you know the far reaches of out of bounds. You know, it's better just to lay up at that point. Yeah, that's that's always. And then and one other question is. Whenever things happen like that, I, I try to reassess and reevaluate my whole process. Did I not sedate the patient? Did I miss something? And sometimes I think we almost risk over, like, over changing things because there's a lot of one-offs. Did you change the way you handled your sedation from that patient? Or did you do anything differently going forward 
or did she give, did she teach you anything that you could apply to other situations? There are, sometimes people will deceive you. You think they're really calm and they're not. I just try to ask them a few questions before I get started to see if they're really tracking with me or not. But I have to say there are sometimes you just simply don't, don't know and can't predict which one's going to flake out during the procedure. You know, we're going to probably talk here in a few minutes about the other people that are in the room with them. So if you like, yeah, I'm still very, that. Go very ahead open, that. Yeah, yeah. very, very, very open into laser vision correction, having a family member come in. Occasionally I have people come in for cataract surgery, but it's pretty much open door policy. You know, they can video whatever they want to do. Uh, but I love having a family member in there to soothe the patient. But sometimes those family members can become the patient. So a couple examples I can use. Um, guy, he was a, this is maybe 20 years ago, and a guy about 55 brought in his 16-year-old son with him. His 16-year-old son was going to be his driver. Dad was totally cool. I thought the kid was cool. Well, I'm doing the procedure, and it's what's going on. I'm always cognizant of what's going on with the, the observer. So the, the observer, if they start becoming disinterested, start looking away, or if they give the fateful pre-vasovagal yawn, I know they're going down. Always alerted my staff. If you see them become disinterested or they decide they want to walk out, do not let them walk out. We keep them in a chair. It's kind of a captain's chair. It has some armrests that won't let them fall out. Well, I'm doing surgery and I saw that the kid was getting a little bit jittery. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I see him, his eyes roll back, and he does, I don't know if you guys know what a sailor dive is, but that's when you dive in the water head first. Well, he fell head first into the, you know, the Vizex laser. So I'm holding him back from the laser with my right hand and trying to do the dad's procedure until the staff can get, you got it, exactly, warm up, get him that, that forearm shiver like a linebacker does to get the offensive guard off you. Um, yeah, so it's just really crazy. So those things, if anybody is still having people come in to watch laser vision correction, there are those telltale signs. And I've found that the, the people that pass out are usually males. I mean, females usually make it through, but it's the male observers that are the ones that go down. Um, and you just have to be aware of that. Gary, do yeah. you allow the filming? I mean, we, we have a, a viewing suite and people are constantly filming and stuff. My thought is, is that 99.9% of the time, this is going to go just fine. And when it's not, I know what to do, or I'm going to stop to John's point. I'm going to live to fight another day. And so I just feel like people will be sharing that, you know, but other people feel the opposite. They're like, no, 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 yeah. I don't want any filming. I don't want any, you know. I, I think that, so the, the short answer is we do not allow observers. Uh, we used to, we, we stopped doing that for some of the same reasons that John has outlined. We've had some people pass out and, you know, we also worry a little bit medical legally that you know who knows what they're going to interpret or how they're going to interpret what's going on and so we've just sort of gone the opposite direction not that we're trying to hide anything but you know sometimes how the sausage is made is you know people don't really understand you know the nuance of, of certain things so i don't think there's a right or wrong answer i think it's just different approaches um, yeah i would go just for the sake of discussion gary just to go across that you know you have dr pimple popper you right. have all these TV shows that everybody's watching. And I guess where I've used it for my entire career is I think it's the best form of informed consent that there can be. And they may not like it. And I totally appreciate, you know, a lawyerly look. You don't want people filming. You don't want people there. I consider what we do is 
so incredibly safe and goes well so much, almost virtually all the time, more so now with femtosecond lasers, that there's really nothing I could even conceive of that I can think back. I wish they didn't see that. So, but I totally appreciate it. And there are probably some practices that, you know, screw it. We're not going to do this anymore. We're just going to do the surgery. Patient's going to come out happy. I have used it as informed consent. I let them video and they see, I think people see all of our logo in the office. So it does become kind of an internal marketing. I think for me, I don't do as much LASIK as I'd like to do. It just, in our practice, you know, my partner does the lion's share and I do, I do a fair amount, but I think for me, I, I still really feel like I need to focus all of my efforts and energy on making sure the procedure is as perfect as it can be. And I don't like my mind being divided, you know, having another person in the room, you know, even to just sort of like stage the room. I sort of like to really focus on what's going on. And I feel like that may be a distraction for me. So, um, but I, I, I fully under embrace what you're talking about. I think that it's, it's just different for different folks. So um, no right or wrong there. I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I totally appreciate, and I think that gets back to the surgeon's job is to land the plane without a, without a complication. And if somebody says what you said, I would 100%, 100% support what they say. Sure. Sure. You had a whole list of other interesting cases. So let's, in the interest of time, I, I feel like you have so much to share. Give us some more, give us some more of uh, the top hits of, of, of any cataract stuff, any like FACO stuff let's, or like IOL stuff. I want to give, I do want to give the two, again, this kind of goes back to I'm, I'm the fool that has these people come in and watch surgery. And I was saying because the, the patient's family member can really usually calm them down. Right. And so um, I had two people. And when I say watermelon, it's you're trying to catch these people before they pass out. It is like the most heinous sound you're ever going to hear. And I had a guy that was about 50 do that for his wife. But then I had another guy about 30 do it. And I felt so bad when he hit that sound, your stomach just curls. Everybody in the operating or laser suites going, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. Well, this guy does it, and yes, he passed out, but he also lacerated his skin from about the mid part of his forehead down to the bridge of his nose. And so I'm like, I've just made a complete mess. I feel horrible. This guy's going to have to go to the ER. I said, ah, I did an internship. Why don't I just sew him up? And so I moved out. The LASIK suite or cataract suite? Laser suite. Threw him up, threw him up on the laser suite, prepped his skin, and he had a fairly big proboscis. And as I'm cleaning up the wound, I realize, oh my God, he has multiple bone fragments of his nose in the wound. And I said, well, I'm not going to be able to kind of put them in the proper position, and they're not going to heal right. Ah, what the hell? We'll just take those bony fragments out, do a deep, deep skin closure, a superficial skin closure. And at that point, I just realized I had completed an ENT residency and felt really good about my day. Yeah, yeah you, did a, you did a nose job. You needed your first rhinoplasty. Exactly. Take the hump nope, out. I did, I did not do breast augmentation on the guy, but I did do a rhinoplasty. There you go. There did he get, did, did he get the vision correction? Was it or did he? Did, he was, was he, he was the observer. He was he was one ah, of the observers okay. that, okay. that passed, passed out and gone. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. 
What about a challenging patient? Anything come to mind recently that has just been, you know, sort of in the uh, outer realm of nuttiness? Yeah, like surely you had a patient who like is demanding their money back or they want a discount because unmet expectations or like, how do you? I'm 2015, but I can't see doctor. Well, I like, how about, how about the one from today? Okay. Refractive scheduler calls me and says, hey, I just got off the phone with this guy. He is so mad. I said, what's going on? Well, he he's seen 2030 distance vision and had been telling everybody during his light adjustments that he wanted to see better. And the person doing the light adjustments or, or the optometrist refractive just wouldn't listen to him. And I'm going, this is strange because I've done my fair share of light adjustments and patients, you know, are usually really happy. And so she went through the whole routine. Well, Dr. Doan's going to do everything he can to make you happy. And I kept coming back to this 2030 not really understanding it and so i had to finally get the chart it was in other another office where we do all this specific light adjustment so i pulled the chart up and the very first sheet and the way we set it up is this person had known amblyopia on his non-dominant which would be his non-dominant eye but he he was 20 40 best corrected in that eye and we did do light adjustments in both eyes and he was a fairly hyperopic guy well i go through all the process i'm sort of saying wow he's He's in his his non amblyopic eye. He is correcting to 2020. We adjust. He corrects to 2020. He um, is finally locked in, and he's a month out, and he's 2020. And so, I'm, well, I'm trying to figure out where's this 2030 coming from. Well, the amblyopic eye was 2040 before he started. Best corrected after adjustment after lock in plano sphere 2030. He's actually gained a line. I'm thinking, how did this get so awkward? Well. It turned out that he went to see a previous doctor after we had seen him and after done his doing his adjustments, and that doctor said, "You're only 2030." Well, <laughs> the guy was 2040 before I ever started. Best corrected, right. so he is now 2030 uncorrected, and it's just a, it's a it's a perception and probably a reference point that I might have to straighten out with this guy. Yeah, so it's just it's just a reference point, and it's sometimes that patients can get bad counsel, and that leads to me having to undo some bad counseling. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of what I went through today, and this isn't a horror story, but it's just part of what we deal with as refractive surgeons. And you know what? We're so lucky to be refractive surgeons because the other 99% are smooth sailing. Um, but, you know, I had a patient who uh, my dad did ICLs on 18 years ago, 17 years ago. They came back and did their, their FACO uh, la- uh, two weeks ago, uh, removed the ICL, did the cataract, and I put in uh, some Odyssey and Symphony mix and match. Patient's doing great, 2025-ish, J2-ish, very pleased. Um, but just one of those nervous patients, had a lot of questions. Nice lady. She was an out-of-town guest. She's from like four hours away in Alabama and just has a lot of questions. I keep answering them. And all of a sudden the day we get an email and she was like, yeah, you know, I'm still having some pain around my eye. I think it's just from the incision site. She has this sort of, you know, uh, foreign body sensation. She had some dryness, et cetera. Um, I had seen her myself at day one and week one. And she's like, I'm, I'm going to go see uh, uh, somebody uh, you know, locally here in Daphne, Alabama. And I was like, wait a second, <laughs> yeah, because, because, you know, chances are the person they're going to see in Daphne or Fairhope has not, does not do ICL has never taken ICL, yada, yada, yada. So, Literally, I call around and I find her, uh, a buddy of mine who I know is good, uh, and I call him. It turns out she's at his, his uh, one is at his offices, not where he's at, 
but seeing one of the optometrists. And I really quick gave him the download on what was going on. He said, I got it. He called his optometric partner and the patient was fine. But literally she was emailing us with these issues while she was seeing someone locally. And I, I, I stopped what I was doing. I had a busy clinic today. I stopped what I was doing. It was worth it to intercept that and said, listen, we need someone who has seen this and done this to have this conversation, which they did. And she turned out fine. But if she hadn't, it would have been like your situation where someone, another doctor introduces, you know, uh, something, an alternate reality in their mind and it's right. hard to get it out. Well, and also if anyone ever mentions to a patient that, oh, I think they put the, the wrong lens in your eye, that is a death sentence. That is a one-way ticket to a lens exchange because no matter what the truth of the matter is, it's in the patient's mind that my doctor put the wrong lens in my eye. And it's so hard to walk comments like that back. Uh, and I think it's really important for you know us and everyone listening to this, you know, if you're if you are seeing someone that you didn't do surgery on, give that that first surgeon just a little extra measure of grace because you weren't there in the operating room. You don't know what the patient was asking for. You don't know what kind of tissue that or issues they were dealing with. So I think it's always important to choose our words really carefully. Um, you know, I had I have had multiple patients that you know, I've tried to walk out, you know, walk back from the ledge of comments that have been made, and like you know, just it's hard. Have you had that experience, John, where someone thinks that you put the wrong lens in their eye? Oh yeah, I, I have, and I'll see other other doctors patients and if the power's off the wrong lens was put no 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 we put the right manufacturer the right model number we when we put the lens in you know we go through all the formulas this is computer generated and there's we're trying to hit a target it's not precise and perfect every time that's just the nature of the beast so yeah you just have to re-educate the patient um, and like you when i hear somebody says they put the wrong lens and i said i have to tell the patient no hold on stop stop time out the wrong that you're going to have to prove to me that the wrong lens was put in. Right. And then I said, right. how do you know, how do you know the wrong lens was put in? Right. And, and I've actually gone so far as this is sort of our transparency. I'll pull up the biometry right in the, in the office and start going through a lesson about the axial length and the curvature of the cornea. And these formulas um, predict where the center of the bullseye is. And so, yes, you might have, we might be off now after surgery, but how, Given the information I was given before surgery, what lens should I have picked? See this one? It's the one closest to zero. That's the one we picked because the computer formulas predicted that's where you're going to be. And I like to use the weather analogy. I say, you know, lens formulas are multifactorial analysis, which is a lot like what weather men do to predict the weather, weather people. Um, and so sometimes it rains on your picnic and that's what's going on here is is that the, the variables you know were just different than how they were weighted so uh but i do think it's something that we need to all just kind of bear in mind that you know someone else's nightmare uh or, or we don't need to create a new nightmare for somebody else <laughs> absolutely so um any final thoughts cases or or um you know thoughts we should share before we we let you go tonight john yeah I, you know i think like minds think alike. I think that you, Blake, and I are probably all on the same page that that we have to give, you've mentioned grace to the other doctor, but you also have to give grace to the patient because they get online and they get down so many different rabbit holes and you just have to bring them back to what is reality and not the alternate universe as Blake has, has stated that 
And that's a big part of our day. You know, my dad was a physician and a family physician. And I remember him saying that 90% of what he dealed, dealt with on a daily basis was psychology or psychiatry. You were not much different. And the yeah. more, ref, more refractive surgery you do, I did a talk several years ago, you know, we do, you know, refractive surgery, uh, you know, uh, cataract surgery. And I end up coming up with the term psycho refractive surgery because so much of what we do is, is in a good sense, trying to stay ahead of the curve in education and understanding with patients that you have to be dialed into their, where they're coming from and kind of all the things that are pushing them, be it pay, with family members that are pushing them, pushing their buttons to ask certain questions that you have to reeducate on. John, how do yeah. you, how do you, how do you, how do you do that conversation? Like when, like, like, how do you, how do you not get just frustrated sometimes when you've explained something three or four times and they're not quite getting it? Do, do you invite a family member in the room? Do you, like, what do you, is, is there any tips for that conversation that yeah, you have? That's funny you asked that. I don't know how many times over the last 30 years I've been married to my wife, I will come home and say, I told a person the exact same thing 33 times, 33 different times, honey. How can they do, how can it be like this? Eventually, what I'll say to them is say, hey, and this, again, this takes a lot of work, but I'll say, hey, especially if there's another doctor involved, I say, I'm going to email Dr. Joe, and I'm going to carbon copy you, and I'm going to go through everything we just talked about. If I sense that this is going to be a difficult person as far as their understanding of what I'm talking about, which is complex, and they're not, they didn't go to, did not get a biology training or any of that stuff, that I will go through that in depth with them to uh, and explain it to them in an email to hopefully make it clearer for them. Yeah. One of our good friends, Bill Wiley has a saying, he goes, I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. And that I really so like that. Um, so I think he was really frustrated one day and just sort of came up with that. I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. So we'll give Bill Wiley credit for that wonderful uh, euphemism. This is oh, great. I love it. Who will all, we'll all see in Aspen this weekend? John, we're going to yeah. see you at Echoes. Absolutely. Can't wait to see you guys. Have a great evening, and thanks for letting me be a part of a great podcast. Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. You, thanks, John and Blake. Always great to talk to you, and this has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Until next time, see ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Tune in to future episodes to hear more horror stories from top ophthalmic surgeons. Until next time.